Rabbi Plotkin. He is a rabbi in Toronto, Ontario, which is in uh, Canada. Rabbi of a great big uh, Chabad synagogue over there. I've been there a couple times. I studied for two years in Toronto. Really a wonderful, wonderful community. If you ever make it to uh, Toronto, you definitely want to make it to Chabad of Markham, as it's called. Markham, it's a little north of the religious community. Um, if you go there, you would never imagine one could have such a large, giant uh, Orthodox synagogue. But uh, you walk in there and you feel at home. Uh, just a wonderful place to be. And obviously, Rabbi Plotkin uh, captures a crowd over there. And also something interesting is that Rabbi Plotkin um, actually spoke in our Chabad house right before Corona hit, uh, January last year. So hopefully just as when he first came, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Now that he's speaking, it's going to signify the end of the pandemic. Uh, and that's our, that's why we're doing this now. Hopefully this will uh, end the pandemic. Um, also, Rabbi Plotkin is uh, on the um, rabbinical court in Toronto. So amongst all his other responsibilities, he's on the rabbinical court in Toronto, uh, serving with the famous Rabbi David Shochet. And um, he also has lots of classes on Kabbalah and marriage. And you can find a lot of those on Chabad.org, lots of wonderful classes on marriage. You give uh, the five languages of love, right? Is that yours? I get confused because I have two uncles that speak about marriage. I have to... Uh, Who's the other one? Huh? Who else speaks about marriage? Yeah, your, your brother-in-law, Ari, right? Yeah. Ari, yeah, yeah. Um, the five languages, love, and lots of other great uh, talks, along with his uh, uh, wife, who's also very famous, Goldie Plotkin. So if you ever want to go go into Chabad.org, look up uh, Rabbi Avram Plotkin or Goldie Plotkin, you will find many, many classes. So it is my pleasure and honor to welcome him here tonight to talk about his new book, and a uh, story that goes along with it uh, after that very short introduction, because I'm sure you know rabbis always talk for a very short amount of time. Uh, Rabbi Plotkin, the stage is yours. Okay, thank you very much. And it's a great honor to be back to the community again, the community of uh, Clearwater, uh, Palm Harbor. It's nice to be back again. Um, for us in our family, it used to be an annual pilgrimage to. Uh, to Palm Harbor. We used to come every year to the Chabad, Young Israel. Uh, it used to be like the annual Adler Bar Mitzvah. So we used to come every year. We've, we've been coming like with our kids for 25 years. Um, you know, we went, we used to, so we know, uh, we know the neighborhood very well. And um, we even know, we even know the, uh, the former Red Roof Inn that we used to stay in with the whole family. We used to go and converge on the Red Roof Inn us and some of the truck drivers there. By the way, the hotel is for sale if anybody wants to buy it. Okay, it's one hotel I'm not buying, so. <laughs> okay. But we had, we, had, we, had, we had lots and lots of fun. It was, it was always a, a great, great time we had there. And uh, uh, over the last pandemic, over this pandemic, you know, some people get busy with different things. I got busy with writing a book, actually. I've been writing the book for a while, but I finally had the opportunity to, to publish it. And, uh, it was, a, it was a book that we it was, it was a book that we made uh, called uh, show it to you. It's called or maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Seven Conversations with Jerry. It might be backwards now, but you see the big Jerry there, right? You see that? Yeah. Seven Conversations with Jerry, and it comes it comes at a good time. I understand the rabbi is doing a class on souls, so this is a a book that that I just published. It's a book about the human soul, bereavement, and the afterlife. So for all of you that are a little bit spiritual, like talking about souls and the afterlife, 
It's a great book to, to get. And uh, if you haven't gotten it yet, I'm sure the rabbi has it there too. Rabbi, you have a few copies of the book. And uh, you yeah, can... we've got we've got a couple copies. And uh, um, as anybody who I told them they would get a book, I'll let you know after the class. I forgot to mention one thing because rabbis always forget. Yeah. Don't mind. I'm sorry to, to take away for a moment. I forgot to mention uh, tonight's class is sponsored by um, the Stella and loving memory of Joey Josephine Vitiello, uh, Joey, and also by uh, um, the Sultan family. So we'd like to thank them for their sponsorships for tonight's event. And uh, may Joey's Neshama have an Aliyah. Amen. And uh, may the family find peace. And uh, may we soon be reunited with your loved one with the coming Amen. of Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Now I will. Uh, the the book the book we have we wrote was was is quite an important book because it's given a lot of people comfort. It speaks a lot about the soul and the afterlife and what happens to our loved ones. And I just tell you a little bit of the story of of uh, you know how this book came about and uh, something ironic that happened in my life uh, in in publishing this book. Uh, some of you might know you know about 15 16 years ago. Um, more like 17 years ago, we had uh, we, we gave birth to a child. It was our eighth child. He was a Down syndrome. His name was Zalmi. And when Zalmi was born, our whole world turned over. Like you know, it was it was uh, it was it was totally unexpected. And uh, the doctor came in, you know, just uh, after he was born. And you know, in the hospitals, they don't they don't know how to deal with special needs. Uh, they, they probably should go to a to a tutorial on what to do. But they came in, the guy, the doctor brought the baby and placed, plunked it on my wife's uh, chest and says, uh, uh, trisomy 21. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what trisomy 21, but that's the medical term for Down syndrome. And they just placed it uh, and, and they, the nurses and the doctors and everybody, they all ran out of the room. <laughs> Like uh, I couldn't believe it, and and we, you know, I looked up quickly what trisomy twenty one was, and I found out that means Down syndrome, and uh, you know, it was it was a major major surprise in our life. It was a curveball that came into our life, and we had you know seven children before who were you know all healthy births, and this was all it was a healthy birth too, numerous issues, but but uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, despite what the doctors told us. Zalmi gave us a lot of happiness in our life, and uh, he had all, all the uh, interesting things about a Down syndrome child. But he was a he was a ball of fun. He was he was a lot of he was a beautiful child, and uh, we really really enjoyed him over the years. And two or three years ago, we had the next surprise in our life was you know despite the fact that we we started to learn how to live with Zalmi and have a great time with him, two years ago. Um, and I was in the middle. Of it. It was, I was in shul, and a policeman comes in. Remember, he was like an African American policeman. He comes in. He says, "Is the rabbi here?" So I thought it was something to do with the security of the shul. Comes over to me. He says, "Is is is your is your son's name Baruch Schneier Zalman?" You know? I say, "Yeah." He says, "You know," he takes his hat, puts it on his you know chest the way he's supposed to do it, and he says, "I'm, I'm here to inform you that you your child has passed away." inexplicably and he was that Shabbos that weekend he was in a way in, in some kind of a, uh, like a children's place for the for that weekend they had like a Shabbaton and mysteriously 
he uh, passed away. Just like he mysteriously came to the world, he passed away mysteriously. But we were we were broken. We were totally like you know. It's like it was like we really got you know. Zami was a beautiful kid. I'll show you a picture of him just to let you know what he looks like. He was a great child. So just let me. I'll show you a picture of him. So because the the book is dedicated to him, so I'm going to show you a picture of my son over here. So give me a second here. There we go. Uh, see him? Can you see him there? You say can you hear him say yes or something? Not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I see the thumbnail. Uh, it says your screen sharing is. Yeah, maybe stop sharing and then reshare. Sometimes there's different ways of sharing. Please move this window away from the shared application. Okay, I'll try again. Yeah, make sure it's open before you share. It's always better. Right. But, uh, uh, things. One second. Okay, I got him there. One second. And share, let's see what happens. Can you see him now? Oh, yeah. Now we see. You can see him. You see, he's a, he's a cute kid. Like, you see, he, he, he graduated. I don't think he, he learned much to graduate, but he graduated school. And uh, he was, that was in eighth grade. And he had a graduation. You can see 2017. That was the year that he graduated. So he's like a little, little redhead. You see, I, I used to have red hair too. So he has the red hair. My wife also, those remember my wife. We've become visiting many times. So that's, that's us only. And he was like, you know, he was like a whiffed kid. Like he was, he was on the ball. He was like a lot of fun. He was a handful, right? Khani, how you doing there? My sister Khani's there. Yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite sister. Uh, on, on, hi, this, hi. on this chat. Hi, hi, my brother. Hi, Ramon. Nice to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Yeah, and that's my yeah, favorite nephew. That's that's, That's right. huh? Your favorite nephew and yeah, and my favorite brother. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> nice to see you. So I was oh, telling the story, I was telling the story of Zalmi. So when he passed away, we were like so broken, like the totally broken hearted, such a cute kid and everything. And uh, you know, and, and, and nobody was able to offer me any comfort. So just recently, you know, I was about two years ago when he passed, just after he passed away, I was working on this book. And it was a book that was meant to comfort other people for their bereavement, to, to teach them about soul and afterlife and all of that. And I started reading the book while I was editing it. And suddenly I found that I became the best customer for the book. The things that I wrote for other people suddenly started to help me. Like, ironically, I started reading pages. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I kept on turning the pages and more pages and more pages. And it, it was it was like a great irony. Like Hashem, it says he creates the cure before the before the, the before the disease, right? He creates the vaccine before the, the, the corona, right? So before I was being hit, I had already like in my hands, I had this book that I, I worked on for years. But it never hit me, it never dawned on me, it never struck me that that actually could be the book that would be helping me out. So, yeah, so the book was very, very useful in my own life. And, and I, I recommend it highly for anybody that, that has an issue or think, or, or you know, is struggling with, with, with bereavement, a loss of someone, 
This is a, it, it's it's a it's a great book. It has a lot of good ideas. It teaches you about the soul, about how the soul never dies, about the the, the afterlife, about where the soul goes, what heaven is, what we believe where the soul goes. Can we reconnect with the soul? How do we reconnect? What can we do for the soul? What the soul does for us? There's a lot of things. A lot of things that's that's in the book. I can't tell you all of it in one shot. I'm going to tell you a few little things. And as, as I said, this is all in honor of our son Zalmi, whom we love very, very much. And the book, as you see over here, I'll show you. It was dedicated in the honor. Got to find this page, you see? Okay, you see, that's the same picture with the dedication right at the beginning of the book. So, so we dedicated, so I dedicated the Zalmi when I, when I finished the editing. And uh, so I just want to tell you a little bit about some ideas that I think in, are in the book that should be beneficial for everyone that are helpful. Helpful for me, helpful, it's in the book. And these are ideas that really I think are very, and I'm going to tell it to you through a story, a story that happened to the greatest general of Israeli history it was none other than, than Arik Sharon, Ariel Sharon. Uh, Ariel Sharon, I don't know many of you know, he also experienced a great loss in his life. He had a, he had a son named Gur, who passed away when he was 11 years old. So Ariel Sharon had, had a great tragedy in his life. And I want to tell you a little bit how he coped with it. But first, I'll tell you the Chabad story of Ariel Sharon, how he got, how he got connected to the Rebbe, how he got connected to Chabad. I mean, he was a general who was to just one major effort on the Sinai Desert. This was the Six Day War, and Sharon came back. He was a hero of Israel. He was he was one of the most important generals in that war. And of course, when he came back, the first place that he went with his family, with his wife, and his little uh, his young eleven year old son, was they went to the Kotel. Because I don't know if many of you remember the Six Day War. That's when they liberated the, the Western Wall. So for Jews, that was like, wow, the, the Holy Temple of 2,000 years ago from King Solomon. From 2,500 years ago from King Solomon. So everybody was so excited to go there. So Ariel Sharon, when he came back from the war, he got dressed and took his wife, said, let's go. And he went to the, to the Western Wall. But of course, like everything else, who, who was at the Western Wall before he got there? was Chabad, you know, we're always there at Mars, you know, I don't know if you saw that one, the Chabad is there at Mars before we get to Mars. So before the general of Israel got to the Western Wall, Chabad already had a tefillin booth there. They already had this booth there, they were putting on tefillin there, they, they grabbed, the, they see the, the general of Israel, they immediately grab him and they take him right out there, tefillin, tefillin, you have to put on tefillin. So Sharon says, yeah, well, I guess, okay. So you, he put on the tefillin and he took some pictures and he was very excited. And he told his son about the 11 year old boy about the tefillin, his wife and all about, it, about how great Chabad is. And that was, that was his first connection to Chabad over there. And fast forward a few months, it was Rosh Hashanah, just right after the liberation of, uh, of the Western Wall. And that Rosh Hashanah, they had over many guests. Ariel Sharon lived on a farm in the Negev in Israel, and you know the, the guests were there, and the kids were getting restless. So they sent off all the kids and said, "Go play in the backyard. Go play in the farm. It's a big farm." So they went to the. It was a barn on the farm, so they all went there. And while they're eating, the eating the, the apples dipped in honey on, on Rosh Hashanah night, 
or they're eating the, the chicken or whatever they were eating there, Israeli couscous, hummus or whatever they were eating, suddenly, bam, bam. They hear gunshots from the backyard. Ariel Sharon dashes out. He knows something terrible has happened. He runs right away into the barn on, on, in the back of his farm. And he used to keep there his guns. And apparently the kids, they tried playing around with the guns. And one of the other children in, uh, accidentally shot Sharon's son, Gur, Gur Sharon. And there he is lying there on the floor with gun wounds. And who better than Ariel Sharon, the hero of, 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 of Israel, who knew how, what it means to be on the front line. He saw his son and he knew it was big trouble. He grabbed him with all his strength, picked him up, and he ran to the, to the road and he took a, a tramp, a, a hitch. The first car was there, he stopped him and he jumped into the car. And unfortunately, his son died in his arms on the way to the, he tried, he tried doing all kinds of things. And son, imagine son, drenched blood in his hands in, in, this, in this car that picked him up, couldn't make it to the hospital in time. He lost his eldest son, Gur Sharon, the apple of his eye. He was broken, as broken can be. As we all know what it's like to lose, I mean, to lose a child. <laughs> First child, you know, what he's planning for this child, all of it, all of it was dashed in a split second. He said, he said, what do I need to be a general for, a hero of Israel? If I lose my son, is this what I get? Is this my reward for what I did for the Jewish people? No one was able to console him. Everyone came from all over Israel trying to comfort the general, but he was not comforted. And one of the people that came to the Shiva house was this Chabad guy who met him at the Kotel. He came in and he saw that he was unconsolable. He, was, he, was, he wasn't listening to anybody. He said, you know, Arik, you know, I'm the guy that met sure. I remember you, everything he says. What can you say for me, Rabbi? Says Rabbi says, I can't tell you anything, but I believe there's one man in Brooklyn who can tell you something and help you. So Sharon says, Who in Brooklyn is going to help me now? I'm here. He says, Lubavitcher, Rabbi. Why don't you send him a telegram and ask him for some words of comfort, and he will comfort you. So Sharon says, Okay. I mean, I like you. You're a good guy. You helped me out at the hotel. I'll do it. The next day he sent a telegram to the Rebbe and he received right away back a response. Now what I want to speak to you now is about that response from the Rebbe to Ariel Sharon to comfort him on the loss of, of, of a son, 11 year old boy, and to just analyze a little bit what the Rebbe answered. And within that, I believe it encapsulates most of what I have in my book. You still got to buy the book, don't forget. But, <laughs> but, but it encapsulates this, this few lines that the Rebbe spoke to Ariel Sharon really, I think, are some of the most comforting ideas which I include in the book about the soul, the afterlife, and bereavement.
Okay, so I'm going to first tell you what the Rebbe responds. The Rebbe responds the next day and he speaks to him about the prayer that we say when we go to a Shiva house. Does anyone here know maybe the, the words that we're supposed to say when, you, when someone is sitting Shiva? There's something we're supposed to say to those mourners. And this is what the Rebbe addressed. Does anybody know what the words are that you say to the mourners when you go in traditional words that you're supposed to say words of comfort? Anyone? You can unmute if you have the answer. Unmute, yeah, this is not a problem. Yeah, Press the unmute button if you know the answer. Oh, very good, Sylvia. Sylvia? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, good. I'm good at reading names. <laughs> not a prophet, don't worry. I know you too. So I'm just going to look at that just for momentarily. I'm going to do something called share screen. Okay, I'm getting the same problem again. So yeah, I think you have to stop sharing. Yeah, I'm gonna do it again. Just open it and then share it. Sit with me. I'm I'm over um, I'm over sixty, so you know we don't know what we're doing. Okay, let's try it now. Okay, I got it. Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, you see that? Now you can see that. Tell yeah. me, you can see it? Please tell me. Yes. See the words there, and it's in Hebrew on the bottom there. Yeah. You see that? You see those people that are sitting shiva, right? Yeah. The mourners, you see them there. And you see at the bottom, it says, Hamakom. You see the transliteration too. Hamakom yenachem etchem betoch shara Yerushalayim. Which means in, Eng in English, may the omnipresent comfort you amongst the rest of the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Now, the Rebbe asked Sharon, he says, we all know that this is what you're supposed to say to the mourners. But the Rebbe asked him and said, hold on one second. This sounds a little bit insensitive, this prayer. You know, when you go visit mourners, you have to be very sensitive to the mourners, right? I can imagine you walk into a mourner, somebody's very sad. Why? Their mother died from cancer. Huh? So they're very, very depressed. So you say to them, your mother died from cancer? My grandmother also died from cancer. Is that, a, is that a comforting thought? Is that something you say to a mourner? In Rabbinics 101, in the first, first thing of Rabbinics, they teach you, that's the worst thing you possibly can say to someone. To say, yeah, you're not, you're not the only one suffering. My family suffers a lot too. What, what have you gained from that? You have to focus on the mourner, on, on try to help them. Don't, don't tell them that your grandmother also had cancer. This prayer is doing exactly that. If you look at it, it says, may the omnipresent, omnipresent is a fancy name for God. May God comfort you amongst the rest of the mourners of Zion Jerusalem. Who are the rest of the mourners of Zion Jerusalem? That's me and you. We all mourn for Zion and Jerusalem because we say, we're waiting for, the, for peace in Israel. We're waiting for the Beit HaMikdash to be rebuilt. The Western wall is only one wall. You want to have all the other four, three walls, right? So we're mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. So we're telling the mourner, 
May God comfort you amongst us, amongst the other mourners of Zion Jerusalem. Which the Rebbe asked to Sharon, he says, hey, hold on. This doesn't sound like a, a, a logical way to comfort someone. What are you telling? You're telling him, you think your life is bad. Our life is bad too. You think it's bad for you? We're all mourning Zion and Jerusalem. We're so sad about Jerusalem. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No, thank you. Do I need you to tell me that you're also mourning? Tell me something about my mother. Tell me something about my son. Tell me something about the reason why I'm mourning. Give me comfort. So the Rebbe said, no. You see, we misunderstand that prayer. We're not trying to deflect and trying to, 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 to speak about some other sort of someone else's problems. No, 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 it's not what it's about. We're trying to give comfort to the mourner directly. How? By drawing a parallel with their mourning and that of Jerusalem. And that is where the comfort lies. And the Rebbe said for three reasons. There are three things about Jerusalem that can help us in our morning, in our morning, three things. And I'm gonna focus on those things, three things. And like I told you, I think these three things are really the main themes that show up in my book called Seven Conversations with Jerry. I'll say that. I know there's seven conversations, not three conversations, but they're inclusive in it. It's a lot of conversations. I'm not gonna tell you all the seven conversations, but three points we're going to make. So the first point that we compare to Jerusalem as we all know as Jews, that when the Romans and the Babylonians, they came to Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and all they left was the Western wall, they might've destroyed the physical building of Jerusalem, but they never destroyed the spirit, right? The spirit of the Jewish people are up. We're Am Yisrael Chai. We are late. They thought they broke us because they broke our building. They knocked out the most beautiful temple, our, our beautiful shul. So they destroyed the physical walls, but the soul of the Jewish people lived on. So this is what the Rebbe said. This is the, this is the comforting of the mourner amongst the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem to tell the mourner that just like Jerusalem, the spirit lives on with the Jews for thousands of years. So too, your mother's soul, or your child's soul, or your sibling's soul, or your spouse's soul lives on, doesn't die. It's a very important point of comfort. You know, We know that the body is buried in the ground. Dust to dust. We believe like spiritually, there's an ecosystem, you know? You know what the spiritual ecosystem is? The body, God created, it says God created the physical body from the dust of the earth. And when we die, we're buried back in the earth. So it's dust to dust. It's from earth to earth. That's the ecosystem of the physical body. But is a person just a body? I don't think so. You know, I've visited, uh, you know, thousands of people in the hospital before they die. And, and, and I've been, you know, by people that, 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 that work in hospitals, I've spoken to many people. You can actually feel when a person's dying that there actually is, there, there is a soul. There's something else besides for the body. You know, when I look at you and you look at me here on this 
zoom thing over here. What are we looking at? The body is just a externality. Who are we? Are we, are we this? this piece of flesh? Well, Judaism doesn't believe so. Torah doesn't believe so. Kabbalah doesn't believe so. I know sometimes we have we have questions and doubts, but think about it. You know? I've gone to visit many people in the hospital and I could see it's it's not like an energy that wears out. It's not like a battery that, 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 that you know, because if it was a battery, it, like, it would start to wear down if, if over a period of a few years. When you go to a person, they're very much alive till the last second, and then suddenly something happens and, and, and you know, the body is the same, the eyes are the same, the nose is the same, but they can't see or hear or anything like that. They can't think because inside the person, there is a soul. And when we understand that, then we know that the soul is indestructible. It never dies. It just like the body goes back where it came from to the earth. The soul goes back to God. The soul returns. It's also an ecosystem. Everything goes back to where it came from. The soul came from heaven down to earth and it goes back to heaven. It goes back to God. And when you know, when you believe that the soul lives on, like I'm just saying, my son's only, you know, just saying that. It's, it, it's such a comforting thought. If you have that belief, you know, the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, once told someone who was really mourning a very hard, and he said to him, also a son, an 11-year-old boy. It's in the story. And the Alter Rebbe said to him, he said, you know, I, I know you're going through very challenging, difficult times, but if I could tell you for a fact that your son's soul has gone to a good place, if, you're, if, if somebody came to you and said, you know, you, your son, for his benefit, he must go to another country and be there and he'll succeed without question. The only thing is you'll never be able to see him. Maybe once in a while you'll get a little message, but you'll never see him, but he'll have the best life ever, which parent wouldn't say, you know, let him go. I know this is a hard thought, but the thought is that if you know that your child or your, your loved one is really existing somewhere else, even if you can't really connect to that person so much, that's a great source of comfort. If you know that they're still spiritually alive. And that's what the Rebbe was telling Ariel Sharon. He said the temple was destroyed. Yeah, the, the buildings, the, 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 the bricks, the mortar, they're all gone. But the soul of the Jewish people, the soul of the temple, the soul of, of Israel, Netzach Yisrael lo Yishaker, the soul of Israel lives on forever. It was a spirit before it came to the body and it continues to be a spirit. And like I see many times, you know, little babies are born. And uh, you can, uh, a baby is already born. You look at the baby's eyes. You see already a little bit of a personality, no? Would you say that? I know you say it. There's definitely, already definitely. Usually, three years later, you start to realize what you what you saw then. What you saw that exactly, right? Yeah. But the baby has already. It's like why? Because the baby had already a soul before the child was born.
And you see it especially with 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 uh, with special needs children, where where the body is 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 not really functioning, but they have. You look in their eyes, and you could see a soul, a soul. Right? That's that's what. It, so the the soul we believe has a personality, had a personality before before it came down. Like the people we love, why do we love somebody? Why do we want to marry someone? It's almost like we're pre-programmed to marry a certain person from before. We have information in our soul from before we're born that, that determines the people that we love in life. So when you love somebody, it's like you almost know them from before. And there are many other things that we have within us that science can't explain where it comes from. Our we have an automatic sense of fairness that we have within us, a sense of ethics. Where does that come from? And many other things. These are all parts of the soul. That's what we believe. Look, I can't prove this in a, in a, in a, in a laboratory, but I can prove it in the laboratory of life. You know what I mean? I can't you know, take it and show it to you in the DNA, but just like there is a physical DNA, we believe that there is a spiritual DNA to the soul. And that's who we are. We are a meshing of the spiritual DNA and the physical DNA. So that was the first point the Rebbe told uh, Ariel Sharon. The second point he told Ariel Sharon was what's the comparison to Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem? Hold on, I have some more, more stuff for you. One second, I <laughs> share screens. I'm going to try again. Let's see if we can do this again. Let's see if this works. Okay. Can you see this now? Hello? Can you see it? Yes. We can see it. See, yes. Yes, the soul. Oh, that was the first point, was the soul lives on. See it? Nice uh, sunrise or something. The soul lives on. That's the first point. So the second point that we're going to make is the soul will come back and we will reunite. Okay, this is another very important thing over here. Let me say. The soul will come back and we will reunite. Jerusalem, we believe, all these years, we believed that Jerusalem will be rebuilt. 2,000 years ago, you tell somebody Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And we'll be reunited again with, with, with the temple. And we'll be back in Israel. People would have thought of you, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're, you're a basket case. That place is desolate. We would have asked Mark Twain 200 years ago, what's going to be with Jerusalem? What? I'm, Mark Twain wrote a whole essay about how Jerusalem is the most destroyed place in the world. Barren land. So the Rebbe says, just like Jerusalem was physically destroyed, but we always had a dream. We'll go come back to Jerusalem. The Jews will come back to We will reunite again. The temple will be re-rebuilt and we still believe it will be rebuilt completely soon. Speedily in our days, amen. That was the belief of the Jews. So the comfort is that just like we believe that Jerusalem will, will be reunited again, we do believe that, is, that we can reconnect with the soul. 
even though the soul is, is, is soul is alive, but not only that, we can reconnect. We can reconnect in this world, and we can reconnect in the world to come. And we can reconnect in the revival of the dead, which we believe will be in the future. There are many concepts like that in Judaism. So for many people, they feel a reconnection by going to the cemetery. I know this is sort of a morbid thing, but, but going to the cemetery. So although as Jews, we're not allowed to talk to the dead. In the Bible, it says, in the Torah, it says, you shouldn't pray to the dead. A lot of people don't know it. That says it in the Torah. But at the same time, why we say you're not allowed to pray to the dead, because we as Jews, we don't believe in seances and all these things. We don't believe that, that, that the dead have power. Only God has powers. But as Jews, we always say, may the neshama be a guta better. yosher. What does that mean? That means that we can go to the cemetery and ask our parents and our loved ones to advocate on our behalf. Because we have nobody better in this world than our parents, grandparents, our loved ones. They are the advocates for us. And we are allowed to speak to them and ask them to pray to God on our behalf because they have so many merits, way more than we have. So you can reconnect with a loved one at the cemetery by going there and saying a special prayer, and asking them to, to pray to God for us. And that's a way that we can actually... So the, there are portals, almost like on the computer. You have different portals. So in my book, I speak about seven portals of the, to the soul. But one of the portals is the cemetery, to go visit a loved one there. But even if you can't go to the cemetery, there are numerous other ways to connect to them. That's one of the most powerful ones is, is, is to go there. You can go there, you can give them some good news. You can let them know about our upcoming bar mitzvah or wedding, things like that you can tell them to. And at the same time, you also can ask them to advocate on your behalf, to make a, a reconnect. That's a portal to the soul says that at the burial place where the body is a connection always between the body and the soul and we can reconnect to the body, to the soul through there. Rabbi, during the, uh, the course, we had a lot of questions about people who wanted to know about connections with people who passed away. Do you have any, any stories you could share with us? Um, you mean like somebody came to me in a dream? No, 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 it doesn't have to be like that. You know? <laughs> Community or anything and messages after... After life. Look, the Babacher Rebbe used to spend days and days by the cemetery. He used to go, his father-in-law was the previous Rebbe. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the Rebbe, in 1950, his father-in-law passed away and the Rebbe refused to become the Rebbe. And uh, he, was, he was very humble. And he said that he never received a message from his father-in-law to become the next Rebbe. So they says they send a, a delegation of the when the Hasidim heard that the, the Rebbe never heard from his father-in-law, so they send a delegation of Hasidim to the previous Rebbe's burial place to pray that the Rebbe take over. And they say that after that, the Rebbe never ever 
refused to become the Rebbe. Right after that, he became the Rebbe. Must have received some kind of message from, from, from via that cemetery route. But I, I, don't, I don't know a lot of stories on that, but there are, there are, still, there are lots of stories along those lines. But the, um, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna keep you here all night because you you know, you're, 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 I'm sure everybody's got lots of things, but I gotta tell you my third point because I'm, I'm like jumping around a little bit. I'm gonna tell you my third point. My third point here is what the Rebbe told Ariel Sharon. First point was, remember, the soul lives on forever. That's a very important comforting point. The second point is, is that we as Jews, we can reconnect. We can reconnect at the cemetery after we die. We can reconnect with the soul up in heaven. You know, when you go up there, you can find the, you go on the directory over there, you know, and you look, ask where is Zadie or Bobby? <laughs> and you, how, do you, how do you connect to them over there? Remember I said the soul is, is, is not just a physical thing. It's the personality that the person had is maintained by the soul. So you can, you can connect to that person, that soul there, two souls can see each other. And even though they don't have the physical body, they know exactly who they are because the personalities are identical. Plus all the mitzvahs that we do in our life, they serve as, as garments for the soul. Another identifying character of the soul in the heavens. But then we have, uh, we also believe that after the coming of the Mashiach, there will be the return of the bodies. The souls and the bodies will be reunited again. So it's another form of reconnection. But now I want to go to my third point. I have a lot to talk about the second point, but not tonight. The third point, which is a very important point, is the third point the Rebbe said was, what is the comforting of Zion and Jerusalem? It's to say that to realize that all the souls are really part of a bigger plan. In other words, just like Zion and Jerusalem, we said before that every Jew is really part of a, of a bigger plan, a bigger picture. And that it's an unfolding story that's going on, just like Zion and Jerusalem. It's an unfolding story. What do I mean by an unfolding story? It's that we are taught that all our souls are almost like boxes in the, in the Zoom. We all are interconnected to each other. We are separate, but we're really interrelated. So when someone loses someone in the community, it's not a private loss. It's really a loss of the whole Jewish picture, you know, purpose is a very important thing. You know, there was somebody in Australia that, that uh, wanted to commit suicide. So all the, the, the priests and the imams and the ministers, they came to him and he wouldn't take comfort in it. He says, you know, I, I, I hate life, I wanna die. And the rabbi came to him and, and, and said something to him and he changed his mind. Afterwards, they asked him, why did you change your mind? Everybody, all the other religious leaders came to you and tried to convince you to live. He says, you know, all the other leaders, they told me that God loves me. He says, that's great, but 
you know, why live even if God loves me? Like, you know, the rabbi came and said to me, God needs me. God needs me. In other words, your life is not a purposeless life. You need to find out what your mission is. You, God needs you. You are an important part of the whole picture. And without you, the whole plan can't be fulfilled. So when one soul dies, a person loses someone in the family, it's a loss not just for Rebbe Yisrael, but for Klal Yisrael. It's a, it's a loss for the entire Jewish people. We're told that, that we're like the letters of a Sefer Torah. There's 600,000 letters of the Torah and the 600,000 Jewish people. Everyone has a letter in the Torah. And if you take out one letter from the Torah, the whole Torah becomes not kosher. The same way as we are interconnected. We are interrelated. I saw this specifically with my son Zalmi. How his life, short life, he lived less than 15 years in this world. But I saw the impact he had. I saw how he had a mission in this world, even though he lived a very short life. So when you understand that, and you understand that they are an important part of the big picture, even though maybe they had a short part. That's very comforting. I'm just going to tell you just a little story. Maybe I shared it with you before, because it's one of my favorite stories about Zalmi. You know, when, when my daughter Mati, eight years ago, she got she got married, and we were going to the Sheva Brachot. Those are the parties you have in the days after the after the wedding. And my wife says, go pick up Zalmi. So he Zalmi very quite often he used to go, go he used to be very active. He's a very active kid and he loved he loved going to uh, to play in different playgrounds. And wherever there was a playground, Zalmi was there. There was a jungle gym, he was there. So like a five-minute drive from the house, every time we'd pass, there was there was a, so a restaurant. And in the back of the restaurant, there was a a uh, a big, big playground. And Zalmi spotted it. He loved going there. He used to call it a certain name. I don't remember what he called it. He wanted to go there. So, uh, but the only thing was that that playground was in a restaurant called uh, Burger King. I don't know if you, any of you have ever heard of Burger King. It's not a kosher place. Okay. So, but Zalmi wants to go to Burger King. Of course, I'm going to take him to Burger King. He's not eating any burgers, but he's playing in the playground in the back. But Rabbi Plotkin doesn't go there. What he does is he takes every time the nanny, he drops off his, his son there with the nanny, and she calls him up when he's finished, and he goes and he brings him back. So my wife says, go pick him up. So I thought for sure he's at the playground in the Burger King. So I come there, and I'm rushing. The whole family is showering and getting ready to go to the simcha, to the party. And I get to the, uh, the restaurant, and I come there uh, and I left my cell phone home. Wow. It's a five, 10 minute drive to go back home. It's late. I don't know what to do. So I said, I can't go into the Burger King because if my, one of my congregants catch me there, I'm in big trouble. So I, well, at first I did, I walked around the place five times and I put my head inside the window to see if I could see him there and call him out, not to go inside, eh, whatever, it didn't work. So then I said, you know what? I was wearing a big black hat. I just pulled the brim down. And I said, I'm going to say Shema Yisrael. I'll, I'll, I'll say the prayers. And I'll give a dash in, grab my son, pull him out. And hopefully nobody will catch me. 
Okay, fine. So I do the, exactly that. I put my head down. I say, Shema Yisrael. I dash in. And as soon as I get into the Burger King, I hear a screech from a young lady there. Rabbi Plotkin, what are you doing here? Oh, no. My cover was, was, was caught. I'm finished. My career is over. I don't know. what. I give a look. And I say, Nikki, what are you doing here? She says, you know me, Rabbi. Nikki is a girl from the, from the synagogue. Ten years ago, she intermarried. She married a guy that wasn't, wasn't Jewish. And I haven't seen her in shul for 10, 10 12 years already at that time. And her mother was very involved in the shul, and she died, the mother. So she says, Rabbi, I have the goosebumps. I said, why? She says, ah, you won't believe what just happened, she says. She says, oh, here I am sitting in, in, in the Burger King with my kids, eating, eating the, the cheeseburgers. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I think God forgot me. I haven't been in shul in years. And my mother is probably very upset with me. So I, I turned to my mother in heaven. And I started speaking to her. I said, Mama, I know you're a pious lady. But I think God forgot about me. If God is still thinking about me. Show me a sign. So as soon as I said that to my mother, you, Rabbi Plotkin, walked right into the Burger King. What bigger sign can there be? The rabbi is coming into the Burger King than that. And she says to me, I say, Nikki, I say, you know, we haven't seen in a long time. Pesach is, is in a few days. Where are you going for the Seder? She says, I don't have gone to Seder in 10 years. I said, you're coming to us. The whole family is coming to us. You can bring everybody. Bring the whole family, all your kids, you had a few kids. Bring all your kids. Sure enough, she came to us for the Seder. And after that, I did a bar mitzvah for her son. And after that, her son called me up. We sent him to a Jewish camp. And he called, an overnight camp, sleepaway camp. And he called me up. He says, come rabbi to the camp. Um, I, I want to do a circumcision. He never had a bris, could you imagine? So 13 years old, he never had a bris because he was intermarried. So I said, Come, we're doing a bris. We did, I went there, I was a sandik, you know, sandik, a big kid. <laughs> it's like an interesting thing. I was holding him. And 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 after that, the next year he went, he went to a yeshiva. And now the whole family, they all they've all gotten involved with the shul and they're all having bar mitzvahs. And and the oldest boy is now is with Rabbeinu Tamstvil, and he's like, it, it's like the whole world was changed for that one family. Why? Because my son decided that he likes to go to the Burger King. That was the only reason why I went there. And that's how I saved the whole family and brought them back to the faith. The truth of the matter was that Zalmi was not in that Burger King on that night. He was somewhere else. And the truth of the matter is that after that night, Zalmi never asked us to go back to that place ever again. Go figure. And the Shama came into the world, you know, inexplicably taken away, but in his own way, by his mere existence, he was able to influence people.
He influenced people when he came into shul and he always had a big smile on his face and many other things that he did, beautiful things in his life. But I just wanted to share with you that story. So when you know that the life is made up of many different characters and many souls and every soul is an important part to the plan. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I always tell the story, it's, I, I look at life like an unfolding play. You know, it's like a Shakespearean play. Everybody's got a part. Some people have long parts. And one guy, he is the, the soothsayer in, in Julius Caesar. He's got one line. <laughs> he has to say that, right? You know, beware of the Ides of March. When is the Ides of March? It's in a few days, right? <laughs> he has that one line, beware of the Ides of March. He's not Brutus, he's not Caesar, he's not nobody, he's not Cassius. He's just a plain one-liner guy. But the play, Julius Caesar, would not be the same without that one line. And I believe that every generation of the Jewish people, we each have a part to play. And we come in and we play our part. And then when we finish our part, when we close the, the, the first scene, where do we go? Where do the players go? They go backstage. They don't go away. They go backstage. They're there. They're paying attention to the unfolding of the story of this world. God's plan in this world, they're part of it. They're in the backstage. And then what happens at the end of the play? At the end of the play, all the actors come out again together. And what do they do? They all take a bow together. They're all reunited again. And I believe that every soul that comes into this world has a purpose, has a line, is still very much existing in the backstage. And they, can, they will be reunited with us once again, in one way or another. The coming of Mashiach Tzidkeinu, made of Yameinu Omei. If anybody's got any questions, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, thank you no, so much, Avramela, Rabbi Plotkin. Don't, don't log off yet. Now, the most important part and always the most interesting is uh, when people get to ask the questions. And I'm very excited this time because the questions are not coming to me. You'll have to answer them. Uh, right. <laughs> so, if anybody's any questions, unmute yourself or put it in the chat. Um, yes, I. Rabbi. During the class, you mentioned that when the person dies, the soul stays with the, with the body that's buried over a period of time. And after 11 months, the soul leaves the body and goes up to, uh, to be put down as a new person. Uh, but when you said that you can go to the cemetery and talk to your parents, is the part of their soul still there? You know, I thought it had been left the body entirely. No, okay, so the way, way it works is, is, is like this, more or less. The, our, our tradition tells us that uh, at the cemetery, we, we say goodbye to the body. That's when we bury the body. And that's when we have what's known as the lavaya, which is the escorting. You know, as Jews, we always escort. So we escort the body at the, at the burial. But what about the soul? The soul, we are taught, stays on earth for the Shiva. And it goes, it stays close to the family during the Shiva. And that's why at the end of the Shiva, there is a tradition 
that we escort the soul. You know, the end of the Shiva, you get up and you walk around the block. What's that? Why you walk around the block? That is when we, just like we escorted the body and gave it its honors, we also escort the soul. And then we are taught that over a period of 11 months, the soul goes through a transitional period, a period of judgment and a period of more like a journey of where the soul goes from one level to the other as it, reach, it reaches its final destination. So the soul, and that's why people have a tradition that in, in that year, they don't go visit the cemetery much. They only maybe on the Shloshim or maybe the end of the year. Why? Because the soul is going through that. And when we go to the cemetery, we are causing the soul to, be, to, come, to come down to speak to us, so to speak. So for the 11 months, that's a period of, 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 of growth for the soul and it, it's transitional period. And that's why we say Kaddish for 11 months. And then many of the customs and the traditions is it's more than 11 months. It's really 12 months, but we, we, don't, we don't believe that it says the, the, the worst soul goes through a judgment of 12 months. So we, we honor our parents by saying 11 months and we're yeah. sure 11 months, they got a fast deal. So that's what say 11 months. Beautiful. That's what it is. So through that period, the first year is a, a transitional period, but Yes, uh, there are also different uh, parts to the soul. There are different parts to the soul and, and there's one part of the soul which stays still close to the place of the, of the burial. But the other parts of the soul continue their, their journey. I don't know if you talk, learned about it, but sometimes the soul is split into two or three or four and then eventually it, it comes back down on earth in, in reincarnation. I'm not sure what's what's in the course. Yeah, last, last class was reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think in, in the in the class they they quote my my class on on the on online. Yes, they do. They do. They, they put a link to your class. But that's the story. So I hope I, I answered your question, uh, Sai. Thank you, Reverend. You did. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else for a question? Yeah. Yes, Katura. Um, you said earlier um, that Jew, that in our tradition, we're not. Oh, the Torah says we're not supposed to do a seance or or you know talk to the dead in that way. Well, what is the difference between that and yeah. you know going like people go to the Rebbe's grave? They ask they ask for the Rebbe or or when you ask your parents to intercede on your behalf, can you speak a little bit about the differences of what the Torah prohibits and what what we do when we're yeah, so, doing? So when, I, when I speak about the seance, that's like drawing the dead down to be able to change things for you. In other words, the belief that a soul has autonomous powers is forbidden. It's like like angels, for instance, you know, in in some of the prayers in in, in Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur, we turn to the angels and we ask the angels to go before God and advocate on our behalf. So, for us, the belief that a soul has autonomous powers to change things for us, that's forbidden. What is permitted is 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 turning to the souls and asking them to act as our advocates and act as our, our middle men, so to speak, middle persons to, to, to go before God. And, and yeah, you can, the question is, can you speak to the soul other things besides for requests? 
And the answer is yes. You can you can speak to the soul and tell them, give them a little nachas, tell them the soul and the family is getting married, tell them that we're following in the family's traditions. Those are all things that are permitted in Judaism. But the one thing which is not permitted is attributing autonomous powers to the to the soul in the belief that the soul has the ability to change things on their own, which they don't. Okay, so if, if they're, you're not asking them to change anything, but you're asking for them to intercede on your behalf Correct. with Hashem, That's or true. asking them, because sometimes don't, when they go to the Rebbe's grave, don't they ask him for guidance or things like that, right? Right, right. So primarily when you go to the Rebbe's grave, the main prayer usually is, uh, to arouse divine mercies. You're asking the Rebbe to, the div- to act as an intermediary to arouse the divine mercy for us. So you go there for a prayer, someone's sick, or someone's this, or someone's that. That's, that's what you, uh, you know, it's, and you ask, they ask the Rebbe that he should have Hashem direct you, uh, you know, in the, right, in the right path or the right, you know, so, but it's, again, it's, it's, it's all, it's not as an autonomous power. It's, it's, uh, okay. Um, is, that, is that what you taught them, Pinchas? I don't know. You know. <laughs> Someone asked, interestingly, you mentioned earlier about uh, souls and souls have connections. Just curious. Someone, mm-hmm. you know, what about uh, people who get, uh, you know, if someone has a spouse that passed away and then they get remarried. Right. Who is the real, who is the real spouse? Yeah, who is the real spouse, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Um, so that's a good question. That's a question about soulmates, right? Uh, and and the, the question goes on further. If somebody is reincarnated and they married another person in another lifetime, who becomes their main, you know, so when, 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 when there's the revival of the dead, which, which wife, right? In a small way, we have the same question. If someone that had a few, a few spouses, let's say a woman had many husbands, um, which husband should she be buried with, right? Usually we go according to the one that she, she, she spent the most time with or the, you know, the one that she was closest to or, you know what I mean, the one that was the most loved. It's something that needs to be, uh, you know, assessed. But I look at it like this, that, that the concept of soulmates is not so simple, Um it's not always just one person for one, one man for one woman. It's more like a puzzle pieces. Right? Yeah, puzzle. If you ever looked at a puzzle, every piece of the puzzle has one piece maybe that it fits like the best with, but there's always a few other pieces that also connect to that puzzle piece, right? They're also soulmates. So it doesn't always, it's not always so black and white that there's one, one man, one woman, that's it, right? There could be numerous soulmates. There is what's called in the Kabbalah, the, the, the Palga, the Gufa, whatever, the one that's that's the most, that fits the best. But that you have to you have to assess it over many lifetimes and many of this. And what about the people you dated? And what about the people? There's also a connection, I believe, to them too. They just barely touch you over there. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else for a question? Yes, Shelly? You were raising your hand over there? You have to unmute. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me get this straight. So, okay, so the soul 
goes up to heaven, goes to the Garden of Eden or whatever, and a part of the soul comes back, you know, to the, um, you know, when, when a baby is born, is that the same soul that was, that had originally gone up to the Garden of Eden or just a part of that soul? Okay, so that's, that's a, very, it's a very good question. Yeah, we, we discussed it in the in the last class, but I'll let Rabbi Plotkin. Yeah, but the uh, best way best way I can explain it is, uh, you know, I think uh, science says, like for instance, the human brain, right? In the course of our lifetime, maybe maybe we develop five percent of the brain. The other ninety five percent is never developed. Right? So, uh, what happens with the ninety five percent of your brain that you never developed? So, almost in the same way. When a person goes through a lifetime, that lifetime is, is, is completed. That part of the soul that's developed in, in one person's life and that body, that part of the soul goes to its eternal rest because it's, it's done what it had to do. But perhaps the other 95% of that energy that it had, which was never developed in this lifetime, it, that like splits off almost like a mitosis, meiosis or something, right? It breaks off and it might create, it creates another bundle of energy for an, another lifetime. And that person will have another consciousness. So that conscious, but that the, the original consciousness that goes to heaven, that stays in heaven and it reaches its rest. But if you didn't develop all that you had to develop in that life, that part, splits off and it creates a new consciousness which comes in a new body and that and that's that's not associated anymore with the first you're almost going to say that when, when god breathed into adam a breath of life it says that god breathed into adam all the potential of all the future souls of all the generations so really we're all a reincarnation to some degree of adam's soul does that mean we we have a consciousness of Adam? No, we have our own conscious, individual consciousness. But we're a break off of that humanity consciousness, humanity that was given to Adam. Follow what I'm saying? Does it make sense? So on that point, then when when the uh, when the piece that breaks off. I mean, you've got the piece that goes to heaven and is at rest. Right. When that piece breaks off and does what it has to do and right. it meets its tikkun or, or, or whatever, then right. does it go and reunite with the Well, when it goes back, it, 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 it hangs out near that other soul because it's from the same bundle of energy, so to speak, right? Could you it, say that again? I'm sorry. Huh? It goes back to... When it, when it reaches its peace, it will be near that other soul because it's from the same group of souls. Right, okay. Right. But, it, but it, it, won't, the, uh, Devorah had a question. it won't lose its identity. And that's an important thing. Because when there will be the revival of the dead, we believe that every, all, every soul will have its body. Not one soul belonging to five bodies. Hmm. There will be no no neshama left alone in Tchiyat Ametim? As when the Mashiach will come, how do we know the Mashiach will come? Mashiach will come when all the souls will have empty, been emptied from the gaff. The gaff is a place where all souls come from. So when all the potential energy would have been already developed in this world, that's when the world reaches a tikkun, and that's when the era of the Mashiach is ushered in. 
Okay, I saw I saw Devorah had a question for a while. Yes, Devorah. Yeah, so um, I I have a question because you said that the souls may split, maybe part of that soul will be going back to Hashem, the other part will be maybe reincarnated. Can it be reincarnated? Part of that our Jewish soul can it be reincarnated into a non-Jew? Generally not. Generally, Jewish Jewish souls end up in Jewish bodies. That's that's like you say, because the family of souls belongs to that family of souls. It's generally not. I mean, there are sometimes, and it's brought down that sometimes as a as a form of of of, uh, of tikkun, it, it, things happen where where different souls that belong really in one place end up in another place. But I, I don't know about, enough about that subject. I'll admit to you. But, but there is sometimes that those things kind of things happen. It, it even says that sometimes in different species you have uh, souls that end up, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a soul of, a, of an animal can end up in a human, a human in an animal. It happens too. Sometimes your dog is, is sounds pretty smart. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Can maybe, this be possible? Yeah, yeah. It's a, there, there's a concept in Kabbalah of transmigration of souls. Wow. That's a particular tikkun. You know, maybe you didn't take care of your dog well enough, so you had to come back in the, the, the thing to, to for a correction. But I'm not, you know, I, I, don't, I just know of the concept. I can't tell you how that works. Okay, okay. Wow. Estelle? Estelle? Uh, my question has to do with a person who takes their own life. Yeah. Right. How... Are the, is their soul treated any differently? Well, we, we, we believe that, that, that most people, even though there's many places where it says that a person that, uh, that uh, suicide is uh, whatever, loses their portion, generally the consensus is within Jewish thinkers today is that most people we know today, most people that, 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 that take their lives usually um, are dealing with, with issues that that's not in their control and so they they uh you know what they're what they what they use to when they take their own life it, it it's you know there's there's these greater demons that, that they don't have any control of it's uh, so you know so we we treat that we believe that they do have a portion in the world to come etc it does say somewhere that there is such a thing, but that you know that that you lose a portion of the world to come. We believe that's a person who who is a philosopher, and for philosophical reasons, right? Not for emotional reasons, but philosophical reason believes that there's no purpose in life, and, and says that I'm going to show by by taking my life. So that's the kind of person that, that maybe loses a portion of the world to come. But most people, 99% of the people that take their lives. Are dealing with issues, you know, and, and then they you know, it's it's like, it's like, it's a spirit of folly, it's a spirit of craziness, of insanity, which we can't hold them responsible for. All right, we, we only have a couple more minutes left. Someone who has not yet asked a question, anybody who has was not yet asked a question that has a question, just because I want to make sure anybody that uh, has not gotten a question. And yes, Rick. No, so the book is this good. This is just the uh, the advertisement for it. Thanks, they, that that, that was a question. That was a fair question. <laughs> ah, it's a question. Okay. No. 
Yeah, well, I, this I, was, this, I think the book is much better than this. This, yeah. this was just wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, it was very good. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We're almost done. We'll just take, yes, Jacob. So regarding, um, you had mentioned when Mashiach comes, the portion that people are awarded in the world to come. So something I, <clears throat> excuse me, um, something I was wondering as far as people who either perhaps convert or perhaps don't have a Jewish father, because from what I hear, it's, it's tri tribally affiliated. Is that correct? Or what happens to one in, in that scenario after everybody's resurrected and we all go back to the happy place? Yeah, well, well I, I'm going to say like this, that the Jewish belief about converts, the, the term that's used in the Talmud for a convert, it says a convert who converts. It doesn't say a Gentile who converts. And that's because the Ramban, Nachmanides, and many others write that, just like we said before, there's a concept of lost souls. We believe that a convert was always Jewish. That if somebody converts properly, they're, and, and they're, they're really dedicated, and they really believe that they want to connect to the Jewish people, they always had a Jewish soul. And so it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, like a, a newfound, it's not like they're infused with something new. It just reveals, God reveals, that on the conversion, he reveals the Jewish soul that always was, was implicit, was always a part of that person. So, that's, so that goes back to one of the questions. Um, can we see a special neshama in a little child who technically is not Jewish? <laughs> you surely can see it. I don't know if, if you, you know, if you can, um, you know, like sometimes you have, uh, you know, we have sometimes uh, conversions that we do for young children, which they don't make the choice, they're adopted. So how does that work? Question is, that it's, it's not a choice that they made. So we believe that if the child is adopted and they grow up in a Jewish home and it's a proper conversion, that that the child didn't make the choice, but God made the choice for that child that they should end up in the Jewish home. Why? Because they had that Jewish soul to start with. Mm -hmm. so even though they, they didn't choose the conversion, but God chose for them conversion. That's our belief. Okay, I've got, I've got a question here from the uh, somebody who's muted and hiding their video, but someone wants to know, how do diseases reflect on one's soul? Diseases? Yeah, any, anything about that? Do diseases reflect on a soul at all or anything? I mean, if somebody gets COVID? I don't know. Huh? I'm just, I'm just repeating the question. I don't know. It could, be, it could be a question. Look, we believe that everything that happens to us in our life is meant to be. And so whatever we go through in our life is part of our destiny. So any diseases that we encountered, this was connected to our soul as part of our, every soul has a mission. And obviously, if something as important as encountering a disease is, 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 is part of that, you know, we have, like we say, in many places that they say that when a person is, 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 is born um, with special needs, for instance, right, that their soul is a, a very high soul. It, it's so high that it can't express itself in, 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 in in the, the, the norms of, of this world, the body can't contain 
the greatness of that soul. So it comes out in a convoluted way, it comes out in a way that the soul can't express itself. But that's because it has a greater soul. So these are a lot of ideas that exist in Kabbalah and et cetera. All right, Devorah, I see you've been waiting patiently with a question. The last, the last one. Okay, so so um, in the last maybe 10 years, I have noticed that certain Jewish congregations, they are not, you know, Orthodox at all, uh, encourage or, 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 or they agree with people um, um, basically um, Oh my gosh, what is the term do they use? Um, you, you no longer have to bury your loved one. Cremation. You cremation. cremation, yes. What, what, what? what happened to them? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the right way, as we said before, is, is, is the, the soul comes from dust and to return back to dust. I once had a, a fellow that, that wanted to be cremated. So I came to the hospital. He told me he wants to be cremated. I asked him, why you, why you want to be cremated? I said, you're a nice Jewish guy, like you should be buried. So he said, Rabbi, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm gonna wake up under the ground. So I'm scared that if I wake up under the ground, you know, how am I gonna get out? I'm gonna suffocate to death. So I said to him, Hashem gave me the wisdom. I said, if I were you, I'd be afraid to wake up on the conveyor belt on into, into the furnace, <laughs> you know, being burnt. If I wake up there, I'd be much more afraid. He says, you know, I never thought about it. And he agreed, he agreed to get buried. He agreed to get buried because of that. And yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's, a big, it's a big conversation. And, and the, you know, the Jewish way, which is around for thousands of years, is to be buried properly and not to be buried, not to be, not to be cremated, and especially... For Jews, uh, you know, especially in this generation after the Holocaust, if the Jews were cremated as a as a, a forced cremated as a punishment, you know, I find it a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, people make their choices, and we respect whatever anybody chooses, and we don't we don't uh, you know we don't we can't be angry at anyone. A lot of people don't know better. Also, so we you know this is what it is. But that anyone that you know that that's thinking about it. There's a very good book by a fellow named uh, uh, Doron Cornbluth. Cornbluth, very good. Doron Cornbluth, he wrote a book on it, and it has, it has a lot of good explanations as to what you tell people that are considering, uh, you know, cremation. That's the body, but the, the the soul is a whole other world. The soul you can't cremate. The soul continues lives on forever. All right, we're gonna have to give the rabbi a hard stop soon. Okay, so typically we don't go more than an hour and a half. So I don't, I don't want to let him go farther than, than uh, 8.45. But first, I just want to, you know, anybody wants to go, can go. I want to, you know, we'd like to uh, thank Rabbi Plotkin for his time and uh, for his wisdom and sharing with us. And of course, as I mentioned, if you signed up and with the book, I'll make sure to get you the book. Um, I'm going to allow questions, but I'm going to make a hard cutoff at 8.45. So we've got only, you know, six minutes left. So please make the most of it. Keep questions concise and short. Uh, because uh, otherwise he won't. He, I won't be his favorite nephew anymore if, if he's on here all night. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, Katura, quickly. Um, can you speak when you're talking about the shemas of convert converts and etc. Um, can you speak to you know then the neshama of somebody 
who was born of a non-Jewish mother and a Jewish father. So, and I know they're technically via Jewish law, not Jewish, but. The thing is like this, we believe that every pious person, the righteous people of the world all have a portion in the world to come. So it's not, it's not just that there's not only a Jew heaven, there's also heaven for all the good people of the world, souls, you know, continue. They have, they have, uh, they have, uh, uh, you know, they have a world to come. So regardless of whether the father or the mother is Jewish, you know, they have the world to come now. Well, would they be considered a Jewish soul? Like if they didn't convert and then, or so, not, or in a Jewish soul, if they do convert, so, like have an official, how is that? Well, the official, the official view is that, that we go, that the mother is the one that, the woman is the one that passes on the Jewishness, not not the father. As great fathers are, speak about the greatness of fathers, but we believe that that the Jewishness passes on through the mother. That's been the Jewish tradition for thousands of years, and uh, Talmud and everywhere. So that's our that's our right. So that that being said, it's possible someone who has a Jewish father will also have a Jewish soul, as we said earlier, and convert okay. converts yeah. had a Jewish soul to begin with. Right. right. That that was what I was getting to. Okay. Yeah. You got okay. Rabbi, I, just interesting. We're talking about Gentiles and they have a heaven. I had a theory in this class. I want to run it by you. Yeah. Uh, when we had a class about reincarnation, there was a discussion, a debate of uh, whether reincarnation happens amongst the non-Jews or not. And it seems the consensus says it can happen, but it's rare. And my theory was because it's a lot easier for them to complete their mission. So they have less likelihood of needing to come back. Mm -hmm. Jews. Yeah, the seven, wow. seven, seven mitzvahs compared to 613 mitzvahs. So, yeah, yeah. Seven, you better, but uh, trust me, I know a lot of people that don't even do seven. A lot of time with seven, too. You know, so. just one, Is that one, the reason for the seven conversations? Okay, no, no. Yeah, seven conversations with Jerry. Very good. <laughs> how, I, I, how does the Torah calls the the, the non-Jew who becomes, how do we say it in Hebrew? Hasidei Umot HaOlam, you're talking oh, about Hasidei Umot HaOlam? No. Oh, no. you're talking about Ger Shenit Geyer? Geyer. Ger Shenit Geyer? Yeah, Ger Shenit Geyer. Oh, Shenit Geyer. Shenit Geyer, Shenit Geyer. That's the language okay. that sort of shows that, that, they, that, that yeah. the belief is that they always were Jewish. Right? I want to check with uh, Linda, Linda or Don or uh, Daniel. Any of you haven't chimed in, have any questions before we, uh, anybody else? Yes, Linda, I see your hand, but I uh, can't see you. If you want to unmute. There. Yeah. I'm good. I don't have any more questions. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right. We look, you look like a soul. We can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. You can see me in a minute. There. Okay, there, that's better. That's better. <laughs> okay, okay. Suddenly there's a button. <laughs> okay. Yes. No questions, okay. Yeah, How about uh, Milt or Priscilla up there on the top? No questions, no? Dawn, any questions? No? Yes. Okay, go for it. Okay, in a typical Adler fashion, you start down one direction and then go into a completely different direction. So my question is, what was Ariel Sharon's response to the Rebbe? Because I thought that was the direction you were going. And again, the rabbi does this all the time to me where he starts one path and I'm waiting 
for an answer, don't get it. And you did the same thing. So it must be an Adler tradition. Yeah, well, you know, it's like we're related. So that's what it is. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, he, he, he appreciated the answer. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, we weren't trying to see what his reaction to it was. We just, we, I was just trying to tell you the, 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 uh, the three points that the Rebbe made to try to comfort Ariel Sharon. And, uh, you know, he became, by the way, after that story, he obviously uh, uh, received it well because he became extremely close to the Rebbe after that episode. After that, he went, he used to go visit the Rebbe regularly and they, they would discuss not only uh, spiritual matters, but even uh, uh, areas of, 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 uh, of, uh, of the, the, he would consult with the Rebbe on, on matters of, of military uh, strategy. And because he, Sharon was extremely, the Rebbe was a naval engineer. So he had, he had some background in it and he was very impressed with the Rebbe's knowledge of the, of the uh, physical ter terrain of Israel, the Sinai Desert and all these places. The Rebbe was never in Israel. And whenever he would speak to the Rebbe, he says, how do you know, like, how do you know all these you know every every nook and cranny of of, of the state of Israel, and uh, and so they had they they had an amazing uh, relationship over over the years. Uh, one time, Ariel Sharon, uh, you know, came to the Rebbe and says, "Rebbe, you're beloved by the Jews. Uh, you're a Jewish leader. You must come to Israel and lead the Jews. A Jewish general always goes in front of the army." So you're, you're the general of the Jewish people. So you must come to us in Israel. So the Rebbe said, your specialty is in the army. The Rebbe said, my specialty, I'm a naval engineer. My specialty is the Navy. In the Navy, the captain is the last one to leave the sinking ship. So American Jewry has a bit of a, a few leaks that I, I have to attend to. So that was, that was sort of their relationship. And, and I, I believe that, that if, 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 he, if he didn't embrace the, the thoughts that the Rebbe gave him at the outset, he never would have you know, made that, that bond and relationship with him. Beautiful, beautiful. I think that's a great ending note. Thank, thank and, you for uh, reminding me we left off. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great closing. We end where we started. And uh, I think that's a great lesson is, uh, you know, us American jury here, we have to take that lesson. We're the Navy, we're, we're the captains on the ship. And we have to focus not only on ourselves and what we study, but also make sure we don't let anybody sink. You know, we, we, we make sure everybody else gets off, everybody else uh, gets involved and uh, studies and learns. And it's coming Passover now. This is very important. I'm ordering a lot of matzah. If you know anybody who otherwise would not eat a special Passover matzah, tomorrow matzah, I'm ordering little small packs you can give to all your friends. So please um, take that message to heart, take the message of everything we spoke about. And again, we'll get you the book and uh, we will thank Rabbi Plotkin for all his time. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it. We'll, we'll see you all thank soon. You. Yes. Thank you. Have a nice night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Oops. Good night.